So I thought this evening I would uh, just begin. If uh, does it sound all right? Up a little. Out a little. In a little. So I thought I would start uh, this evening with a little. Uh, this is a computer haiku. Apparently, in Japan, they have replaced the impersonal and unhelpful Microsoft error messages with haiku poetry. <laughs> and these are 16 actual error messages. Your file was so big, it might be very useful, but now it's gone. <laughs> The website you seek cannot be located, but countless more exist. <laughs> this is great. Chaos reigns within. Reflect, repent, and reboot. <laughs> Order shall return. <coughs> Program aborting. Close all that you have worked on. You ask far too much. <laughs> Windows NT crashed. I am the blue screen of death. No one hears your screams. <laughs> What's with us? <laughs> Yesterday it worked. Today it is not working. Windows is like that. <laughs> First snow, then silence. This thousand dollar screen dies so beautifully. <laughs> With searching comes loss and the presence of absence. Quote, my novel, not found. <laughs> not so funny. <laughs> The Tao that is seen is not the true Tao until you bring fresh toner. <laughs> a crash reduced your expensive cu uh, computer to a simple stone. <laughs> Three things are certain. Death, taxes, and loss of data. <laughs> Guess which has occurred. <laughs> you step into the stream, but the water has moved on. This page is not here. <laughs> 
out of memory. We wish to hold the whole sky, but we never will. <coughs> Serious error. All shortcuts have disappeared. Screen, mind, both are blank. <laughs> so. So tonight I would like to kind of explore with you uh, not the prescriptive uh, part of metta, but just the uh, really the feeling tone uh, of metta and uh, some of its aspects. Do some stories. And I was thinking about um, what Gil had spoken about at this, about the bird, and that we have this uh, kind of wisdom and compassion, and we have these paramitas, that these ten paramitas, which are really the body of the bird. And that body of the bird is really that that um, uh, uh, really uh, holds our practice. You know, it, it gives uh, our practice uh, this capacity to, um, you know, I like the word, uh, even though it's not used in Buddhism so much, this word grace. And that these paramitas are really uh, this uh, extension of grace that somehow we have this uh, capacity to uh, be supported uh, by generosity and uh, virtue and renunciation and wisdom and energy and patience and truthfulness and determination, metta, this loving kindness and equanimity, uh, the body of that bird, you know, and it gives us um, the capacity uh, to stay here. Uh, and really, uh, the practice in itself, uh, when these are uh, worked with in ourselves, is really uh, the grace of the practice. You know? And it doesn't come from outside. It comes from, uh, from our own uh, knowledge and working of these. So uh, I wrote you a poem, which actually uh, started uh, with this uh, full moon uh, a few nights ago and had to do with uh, laying there in bed and uh, uh, that moon uh, kind of uh, break as I, my bed is right there with the shades and so my head's right by the shade and as the moon uh, begins to set. Uh, it uh, enlightens. So, it's just called uh, Full Moon Meta Talks. Oh, you thought I could talk about the heart, <clears throat> the subtle way the armor shifts, the many layers that hold it in place and cover it with trance, or the ice that chills the fear and freezes the heart. At night, even the light through the window shades asks the moon to come and press its face against mine. Yes, breathing into me, closing the dream world, eyes open 
3 a.m. Shutting off the words, the world of words, a soundless shadow of the heart, knowing like a bird nesting would gather all our flaws, gather all our flaws in celebration. Could it be uncovering another layer, breath wetted to both body and mind, seemingly uncomplicated and unfabricated, that this small movement, this smallest shift, allows the heart to be freed from its trance, to shine like the moon, undiluted by the window shades of our stories, to merge with it perfectly, impossibly. It opens and closes the quote, the sure heart's release, a promise given by the awakened one thousands of years ago. I know, you know, we know, I remember, you remember, we remember. That's enough, you're enough, this is enough. Eyes drop off to sleep. So there's a wonderful um, story that's told about, uh, and when I, when I first, in the 61 or something, when I first went to Bangkok, there was still a lot of uh, waterways uh, through the city, and they um, began to uh, build, uh, kind of fill them in and, and build roads uh, throughout the city. and. Sometimes there would be a, a, a temple, which seems to be uh, every block or so that uh, is there. And one of these roads that was being built, there was a, a old temple that was there. And inside was a, a large uh, Buddha that they had to bring a crane and, and pick it up and bring it out. And uh, in bringing it out, um, the straps on it uh, loosened somewhat, and uh, so it fell. And um, but they were able to sort of cover it over with a tarp and and uh, leave it there. And uh, that evening, uh, as story goes, I think there's many renditions of this. Is that? Uh, uh, one of the monks went out to just uh, to check and see and kind of pulled the tarp back and had a flashlight and was looking uh, over it and there was a crack in the center. You know. And what he could see was uh, this golden light that was being reflected back, uh, back at him from uh, the center uh, of this uh, Buddha. And uh, I don't know, you know, this is story is that he somehow uh, uh, carved or it was big enough to see that there was really something else in the center. 
And what he found was a solid gold Buddha. And it, they say that in the time of the Khmer, when they, there were these sort of wars between uh, Burma and, and uh, Thailand, that uh, at one of those times, uh, they had taken their most precious object of this monastery, which was a solid gold Buddha, and put it uh, inside this large clay, or earthen Buddha, that um, was the uh, Buddha that had, uh, after many centuries, had fallen and cracked. Um, I think sometimes this story uh, is about what we're doing here. You know, uh, we come here and um, kind of in this um, world of complexity that we live in, uh, with uh, sort of the information age and uh, so many things that sort of come uh, from the outside at us and that we uh, kind of find ways to uh, deal with it and uh, occupy uh, kind of uh, the time and the space that we live in. But in that process, uh, little things happen. You know, things that uh, upset us, things that cause us to uh, turn in on ourselves, uh, judge ourselves, uh, compare ourselves. Uh, old stories that we bring from you know, mother, father, school. And all of this is like layers uh, that cover uh, this heart that uh, is uh, actually this gold Buddha that's uh, inside. I uh, remember when I first went to Asia and I sort of thought I knew how to meditate. I really didn't know anything uh, or less than anything, but I pretended I knew something, you know. And um, But I did make the decision that somehow uh, there was something that was missing, something in myself that uh, I knew but didn't know uh, sometimes uh, what it is that draws us to this practice without uh, any reason or recognizable confirmation. Uh, but we follow our instincts. Uh, we follow maybe some dream or voice or something someone said or something we read somewhere that pulls us along. So for me, it was uh, this truth of the Himalayas and this, uh, you know, the uh, lost horizon. I mean, James Hilton um, 
that right, who wrote it, uh, of this whole land where uh, there was a possibility uh, of some something uh, beyond uh, complexity and uh, the self-suffering and the narcissism of somehow um, self-absorption. So when I first arrived in Nepal, I went uh, trekking in the mountains. And uh, in that trek, I came into this small valley after uh, many days. And uh, there was uh, a series of uh, probably uh, 10 people in this field. And there was a sort of Tibet carpet in the center. And there was a, a what? would be a Tokhtan, uh, a yogi with uh, had long hair that was matted on his head. And, um, and they invited me over for tea, so I went for tea. And uh, what I suspect is uh, they, were, uh, on their, they were on a pilgrimage uh, to um, meet um, the 16th Karmapa, uh, in the Tibetan lineage, there is a, really this a great, great teacher that uh, they came every 12 years uh, to do this uh, black hat ceremony, this ritual there for a month. Um, and I had no understanding of any of this. But he was so uh, generous, and what I believe is he was from uh, an area called Dolpo, and he had come over the Dalagiris and Manang, and had, they had walked for literally weeks. Um, and they were within a few days of uh, the, where their pilgrimage would end. And they brought out this uh, um, silk uh, scarf, and inside of it was this uh, mala, which is uh, this 108-bead uh, mala, uh, which was... Um, uh, a bone mala. And uh, he offered it to me, and I took it, and I thanked him, and uh, it, um, you know, I, I put it around my neck, and I had long hair then and a beard, and so to him, there was something also uh, that recognition of kind of this uh, another yogi from a, uh, another planet, <laughs> you know? Because in those years, in the 60s, there were very few, I, I think there were like 360-some permits given you know, that year. So there was really not a lot of Westerners uh, in those mountains. And I came out and um, to, back to Kathmandu, the sort of uh, thriving village that it was at that time. And uh, at four in the morning, uh, there would be these huge uh, Tibetan horns that would uh, very long would go off on top of the monastery, right uh, across from the hill where I lived, on uh, Saraswati Hill. And uh, someone had told me, "Oh, this is the way uh, they they do this to affect your dreams." I thought, "Oh, that sounds good. I'll take that." You know. Um,
And so I went to see uh, this uh, 16th Karmapa. And there was quite a fanfare of people, and I went with um, some of the Western friends I had met there. And one of the things when I came in was uh, I was wearing a, um, a felt uh, red, red? Oh. <laughs> a shirt uh, that was a Tibetan shirt. And I was wearing this mala. And uh, the karmapa said, come here, you know. And I had long hair, and so I had to, he said he wanted to see it. So I had to go through this whole thing, you know, my hair, trying to get the thing off and stuck in my hair and, and, uh, and nervous. And, and uh, you know, I felt because there were so many, there was quite a few uh, people in the room and, and uh, I, I uh, fairly sure I don't like to be in the center of things like that. So I was really nervous. And I handed these uh, beads to him. And he looked at him and he started playing with them. And, and um, he blew on them, and, and uh, then he um, took, and all he did was just, he just touched me, put his hand on my head. And I walked back, and I had this mala in my hand, and I was looking. Later, I found out that it was actually, uh, we're not sure whether it was, um, uh, I really couldn't keep it, uh, whether it was uh, just, it was child's skull, um, um, from children that had died, and it was um, uh, the mala was made out of this, so that's why he was interested in it. And I had to then give it to uh, my friend uh, Bhagavan Das, who really was uh, kind of the person who turned Ram Das on, who really did deserve it. I didn't felt I really deserved it. And I'm not sure what he ever did with it, but uh, it was certainly a, a power object, you know. When I stepped back uh, in this uh, room, and uh, I was with some friends, and we sat on the floor, uh, what happened was, uh, it's the first time in my life that all those layers, the covers, that covered my heart, you know, uh, opened, you know. And um, whatever had happened there uh, uh, showed me that uh, this was not a fantasy, uh, that this heart that can open is actually a reality, you know, and it is not uh, something that, uh, in this case, uh, I think uh, the statue got dropped, uh, you know, but uh, the flashlight actually worked. <laughs> so, you know. But it was my first uh, recognition that uh, this uh, uh, practice is about the sure release of the heart. You know? And that we come here and this practice is based on the fact that uh, we put the emphasis uh, really on the wisdom factor. And that uh, by working with the wisdom factor, we get and work so the mind gets out of the way. Uh, instead of ruling uh, kind of the conditions of how we uh, imagine our world to be and how we uh, sort of make it all up in some way.
I love this uh, quote. This is from uh, the Venerable Ajahn Chah. When I had only been practicing two or three years, I still could not trust myself. But after I had experienced much, I learned to trust my own heart. When you have this deep understanding, whatever occurs, you can let it occur. All things will pass and be quelled. You will reach a point where the heart tells itself what to do. Where the heart tells itself what to do. It is constantly probing, constantly mindful. Your only concern need to be to continue contemplating. So we have this uh, practice that uh, is basically a practice that uh, is really the insight practice uh, that uh, allows us to open. Uh, is really based on two fundamentals here. And one is, uh, I use the word, the uncomplicated. You know, the uncomplicated. Uh, we simply are asked to be with what appears. You know, uh, whether it's the breath or whether uh, there's something in the body uh, or whether uh, there's a feeling that arises, uh, an emotion, uh, thoughts that are thinking themselves. You know, and our job is just to no, it's uncomplicated. It's to know what it is that's happening. You know, to begin to see this as this uh, phenomenal stream, this phenomenal process uh, that is not, uh, you know, we take it uh, so personally. Uh, but the practice uh, is the basis of uh, untangling that and beginning to take some of these layers off so that we can begin again uh, to kind of uh, feel uh, the, sometimes I think it's simply uh, the kind of grace of this innocence that uh, holds all of us. Uh, I like uh, one of the, a couple years ago when I was in uh, Nepal and uh, studying, I studied this text called the Tathagata Garbha which is actually, uh, this is a Vajrayana, Mahayana text, uh, which was based on the fact that, uh, you know, there is a, it talks about a dirty rag uh, covering a jewel or the lotus in the mud. You know, uh, that this, that uh, covers uh, this essence uh, this truth of um, uh, our uh, capacity uh, that inside each of one of us are all the Buddhas of the past. You know, they're not separate from us. Uh, we breathe those Buddhas in. We breathe them out all the time. They are part of the whole molecular structure here that happens. And these practices are based on the fact that we can begin to recognize that the, the uncomplicated 
this somehow getting out of our way uh, so that we can be informed, uh, be informed of the, this um, uh, tathagata, it means suchness, the suchness, uh, a being of suchness, you know, and that that uh, part of us uh, that is sometimes uh, so well covered or hidden or under it all uh, is longing, uh, longing for us. Uh, so we come, uh, we come, we sit, we wait. You know, we see uh, how the stories uh, tangle. the many layers that hold it in place and cover it with trance. Or the ice that chills the fear and freezes the heart. There's also, with this uncomplicated, uh, is this basic intelligence that goes with this capacity uh, of heart. You know? It's not something you have to think about. It's something that's already there, already available. You know? um, it is in the kind of deep listening uh, that's happening here. And in that is this, uh, again, I go back to this word grace. Uh, it is uh, uh, grace. And that uh, we, act on, we remember, uh, not with some need of um, uh, remembering or knowing how it is, but that it's natural. It's a, a part of our nature. That when uh, we sit in the uncomplicated and we trust or have the grace of this basic intelligence, that these ten paramitas uh, are functioning. Uh, they are uh, kind of delivering uh, the body so that we can hold uh, this, in essence, this bird in flight. You know. uh, one of my uh, favorite kind of mantras uh, comes from the Sri Nisargadatta, the great uh, kind of Bibiwala that uh, Bombay or Mumbai, who um, lived. Uh, uh, an uncomplicated life with um, lots of children and people who came to visit him. Uh, and this line has held me um, so many years when I kind of questioned how this all worked. And it simply went, wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. 
and somewhere between the two, my life flows. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. And somewhere between the two, my life flows. It's interesting, the word metta, uh, it, um, and it's like in Tibetan, there are 13 words for mind. You know, mind body, mind uh, 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 mind, mind uh, thought, you know, mind um, uh, heart feeling. Uh, but for love, we have this one word uh, as we do for mind. And uh, part of this is to discern kind of uh, uh, and understand uh, the way it works uh, that allows us in some way to understand uh, the kind of bigness that's possible here. This is uh, from Who Dies uh, by Stephen Levine, and I, 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 there's no, I was thinking I can talk about it, but he does it so beautifully. We use the word love but we have no more understanding of love than we do of anger or fear or jealousy or even joy. Because we have seldom investigated what that state of mind is. What are the feelings we so quickly label as love? For many, what is called love is not lovely at all, but is a tangle of needs and desires, of momentary ecstasies and bewilderment. Moments of unity, of intense feelings of closeness occur in a mind so fragile that the least squint or sideways glance shatters its oneness into a dozen ghostly paranoias. When they say love, we usually mean some emotion, some deep feeling for an object or person that momentarily allows us to open to another. But in such emotional love, self-protection is never, never very far away. Still, there is, quote, business, unquote, to the relationship. Clouds of jealousy, possessiveness, guilt, intentional and unintentional manipulation, separateness, and the shadows of all previous loves darken the light of oneness. But what I mean by love is not an emotion. It is a state of being. True love has no object. Many speak of their unconditional love for another. Unconditional love is the experience of being. There is no I and other. And anyone or anything it touches is experienced in love. You cannot unconditionally love someone. You can only be unconditional love. It is not a dualistic emotion. It is a sense of oneness with all that is. The experience of love arises when we surrender our separateness into the universal. When we surrender our separateness into the universal. It is a feeling of unity. You do not love another. You are another. There is no fear because there is no separation. 
tall order here. Tall, tall order. But this is uh, the explanation of metta. I like to look at it a lot of times in the language of uh, the, whether you could use the vertical and horizontal or the absolute and the relative. And uh, what we're being form, informed by here is that there is uh, a greater, uh, I like the word the big, uh, the big that uh, is holding all of this on some level. And we can see it from one uh, side is that um, uh, that vertical, that uh, metta, that uh, non-separateness, that when we can bring that into uh, our relative world, into our the kind of the horizontal, the separateness of things, and allow it to inform us, uh, to free, uh, to free up, in essence, the, the uh, objects themselves, and that the metta works on this uh, capacity. Uh, to bring the unconditioned uh, into our relative world. And so we work here um, in whatever practice you're doing. You know, uh, that uh, ultimately uh, it is supporting uh, this capacity to allow uh, that uh, unconditioned inside of you, this uh, kind of golden uh, Buddha light being non-separateness. To reveal itself. Uh, a couple of years ago, when uh, I was uh, living in uh, Dharamsala for four months, and I would go uh, to the um, Tibetan library uh, and archives, where uh, there was a teacher uh, named Geshe Sonam Rinchen, and he was a translator, and uh, probably the same age as His Holiness, you know. And I would go every day, you know, I mean, six days a week, and. Uh, one of the things I did was, he was a scholar, uh, and I would go and uh, I would take notes, and I would just write and write and write, and I don't know what I was writing, you know. But one of the things was that I had always uh, been afraid with notes on the board when I first started teaching. Uh, my um, spelling was so bad, uh, and I was so uh, kind of embarrassed about uh, or sometimes I wouldn't answer notes because I didn't know how to spell words, you know? And it um, always was um, really hard for me. And I realized, I thought, well, I'll just listen to, to Geshe and I'll just write. And, it, and I still spell, that doesn't matter. But I just kept writing and saying, oh, if I just keep doing this, you know, then I won't be afraid. 
you know, and I realized the whole process of just doing this was this that we're so separate from the fear. You know, how we compare or hold ourselves. And that ultimately, you know, what was wonderful about this man was uh, uh, he was just uh, a clear mind. But there was this purity of being, you know, that um, uh, was, uh, there was really nobody there. I don't know, that was my sense of it. And how uh, ultimately in all this, sometimes we all, these teachers, we have some, you know, different ways that we do things. But ultimately, um, I would like to say we're not here. Uh, what's here is uh, you sitting and listening, uh, listening uh, to yourself. And whatever there is that's kind of blocking uh, these layers, these layers, it's like skin. There's so many little layers that hold us from uh, allowing this. Uh, That really this unconditioned heart uh, to speak. You know, uh, a training here that takes so much work uh, because of our uh, kind of needs to uh, fabricate the world, uh, to make it uh, complicated, you know, and that we can't really trust that we have to somehow make sure that we have to know, you know, then we'll feel okay. And this is saying, can you be comfortable not knowing? And is this, is this, is this enough? No. I love the kind of, the, I, I wish sometimes I could uh, sing really well. I, I can't even carry a tune at all, but What's marvelous is um, when I uh, was up on Kailash on the north face, and uh, I, when we came in to camp, my boots were it's totally disintegrating. I mean, completely where I had duct tape all uh, kind of holding them together, and the glue would kind of disintegrate. And, and um, I, I sort of knew in myself that somehow uh, there was uh, some great teaching in this, you know. Uh, but I really couldn't figure it out, you know. And uh, we got up uh, to uh, this call in the Valley of the Gods, uh, which takes you up to the pass and of the north face of Kailash. And, and um, uh, I came in and I was really tired and I was like just wasted. And so the doctor that was with us said, well, uh, I said, you check my oxygen level. So I think it was 68, you know, 
and I was sort of had a headache, and I'm going, oh gosh, you know, I think this is uh, um, what uh, is known as altitude sickness, you know. And so I, I, I took some Diamox, but I knew it wouldn't, you know, it doesn't kick in so fast. And I went to bed that night, and uh, one of the things about altitude is uh, 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 the air is thin. <laughs> you know? So you can't really, really shouldn't take when your blood level is like that, your oxygen level, because since your brain what needs uh, what 12 times what your body needs, um, I you know I couldn't take any sleeping pill or anything like that because then that would again drop the the um, the uh, oxygen level in my body. So uh, I went to bed and kind of sat there and. And uh, it was very, very cold, but um, I couldn't sleep, you know. So uh, as I uh, lay there, I um, began to, I'd been really, I had spoke to you, but I'd been really going on and off and crying for two days after this uh, abscess uh, tooth that I'd had. And it had um, sort of uh, allowed, you know, it's like those layers. Uh, and uh, there were so much uh, places where I regretted things I'd done and, you know, all this stuff that came up. This mountain, I don't know what it is about it, but it certainly pulled the, the um, uh, you know, uh, the Dalai Lama said uh, that, living is harming others. You know, it just, we go around and I make up my reality, you make up your reality, you know, uh, we have these relationships and these relationships, you know, uh, they eventually all fall apart. That's their nature, you know. And sometimes sooner or later, you know. And just going back through my life and seeing how uh, you know, I'd hurt people, and uh, sometimes unintentionally, but it's just the way life works sometimes. I go this way, they go that way. And uh, in that, that night, I lay there, and I really got this sense of how, um, on one side, really fragile uh, this life is, you know. And on this other was this uh, sense of, um, you know, uh, that kind of the vertical, the non-separateness, uh, this great mountain, that this mythology of how uh, we go to the mountain uh, to, uh, to be touched, you know. We come here to be touched. And um, the next morning, it was, I was, it was funny because I was so excited for their only six, that, well, actually one uh, made it up to the pass. Uh, six that actually made it around the mountain of the 21. Um, but I remember sitting there and looking at my boots and it was really early and they were just getting ready and it was snowing and uh, the pass was, uh, uh, you couldn't see uh, much up the mountain, 
to the past. And um, my son, you know, had come with me. And uh, it was uh, so, I felt this great thing about uh, letting go of my, you know, what I wanted and seeing that uh, also now he could go and do that, make that circle around the mountain. And there was such uh, a sense of uh, happiness in me. You know, there was at first that thing of, well, why can't I do it? And my boots are kaput, you know. Um, my body's not in great shape. I haven't slept. Uh, it's time to kind of let go. We'll all have that peace over and over again. You know, what we want and what we get are you know, two different things. Uh, this is, I, I love the ecstatics. You know, they are those who um, uh, surrender into that uh, heart and um, don't look back. This is uh, Kabir. The flute of interior time is played whether we hear it or not. What we mean by love is its sound coming in. When love hits the farthest edge of excess, it reaches a wisdom and the fragrance of that knowledge, and the fragrance of that knowledge, it penetrates our thick bodies. It goes through the walls. Its network of notes has a structure as if a million suns were arranged inside. This tune has truth in it. Where else have you heard a sound like this? I love the fact that uh, that day I got to go up and uh, kind of teach in Milarepa's cave, and uh, I've always had such a, a love for this saint that uh, sang his, his poetry uh, as a way to, uh, you know, kind of uh, partake with those and himself in these teachings. What a... Uh, lovely way for to move to let this move us you know and that to me is somehow there's something ecstatic about doing that you know I was thinking in that poem by Kabir there's this part about excesses And uh, so I'm going to read this. This is from Mitch uh, Alborn. It's from uh, Tuesdays with Maury. 
and um, I read it because in some way, um, for me, the trip to Kailash or uh, these pilgrimages uh, are always a bit of excess, you know? And I've always been a little eccentric and uh, like excess, but it's not necessary. But inside. Learn to detach. Don't cling to things because everything is impermanent. But detachment doesn't mean you don't let the experience penetrate you. On the contrary, you let it penetrate fully. That's how you are able to leave it. Take an emotion, love for a woman or grief for a loved one, or what I'm going through, fear and pain from a deadly illness. If you hold back on the emotions, if you don't allow yourself to go all the way through them, you can never get to being detached. You're too busy being afraid. You're afraid of the pain. You're afraid of the grief. You're afraid of the vulnerability that love entails. But by throwing yourself into these emotions, by allowing yourself to dive in all the way, over your head even, you experience them fully and completely. You know what pain is. You know what love is. You know what grief is. And only then can you say, all right, I have experienced that emotion. I recognize that emotion. Now I need to detach from that emotion for a moment. So Gil talked about uh, this, uh, really this uh, determination that uh, is necessary uh, when you sit here and um, uh, there are so many options, you know, you can go off in some great fantasy or story or, um, you know, enough, I'll go take a walk or whatever. And um, uh, the practice uh, of, uh, of this willingness to hang in there. It's uh, working. It's working you. Uh, you don't even really have to even believe in it. You know, it's all right. You know, if you'll just sit and listen, listen deep in there. You know, and even when you get confused, and you will. There's a grace uh, that's happening here, you know. And not something we any of us can kind of make up. It's just true. You know. So uh, I'll read my poem again just to end.
full moon, metta talks. Oh, you thought I could talk about the heart, the subtle way the armor shifts, the many layers that hold it in place and cover it with trance. Or the ice that chills the fear and freezes the heart. At night, even the light through the window shades asks the moon to come and press its face against mine. Yes, breathing into me, closing the dream world. Eyes open, 3 a.m. Shutting off the world of words. A soundless shadow of the heart, knowing like a bird nesting, would gather all our flaws in celebration. Could it be uncovering another layer, breath, wedded to body, mind, seemingly uncomplicated and unfabricated, that this small movement, this smallest shift, allows heart freed from its trance to shine like the moon, undiluted by the window shades of our stories to merge with it perfectly, impossibly. It opens and closes this sure heart's release, a promise given by the awakened one thousands of years ago. I know, you know, we know, I remember, you remember, we remember. That's enough. You're enough. This is enough. The I drops off to sleep. Just sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention.